Good morning. I thank God for the opportunity and privilege to spend this time with you. And this morning we want to conclude James chapter 1. And we're going to finish off with the last two verses in that chapter. Verses 26 and 27. And James, we're going to consider this morning pure religion and ask ourselves the question, are we demonstrating pure religion that God approves us? I'd like to say this was not an easy message to prepare. As a person who shares from the pulpit and, and words are what I do, this spoke volumes to me and the importance of ensuring that what comes out of this mouth is continually checked and ensuring that it is honoring, glorifying to God, and as God's word says, ministers grace to the hearers. Now James concludes his discussion on being an effectual doer of the word, and that's what we looked at the last time we shared. He talked about the importance of not just being a hearer, but a doer. The importance of practical demonstration is what we're going to continue to discuss on the road it plays in religion. I ask you to stand with me this morning as we read God's word and open up this morning's service, message, and prayer. James 1, 26 through 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege and the awesome opportunity we have to spend time in your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, our teacher. And I pray, Father God, that he would this morning speak through me as your word goes forth. Father God, I pray that the word that goes forth, your word, would accomplish the purpose that it has been sent for. That it would minister grace to the hearers. It would be challenging to those of us who need to be challenged. Encouraging to those of us who need to be encouraging and ultimately glorifying and honoring to you. Thank you once again for this opportunity to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now James starts off in verse 26. As he continues on, as we said earlier, he talked about being an effectual doer of the word. And now he continues on with the practice, the doing. And as he speaks, he says, if anyone. And so when James starts off, he says, listen, I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to all of us. James is speaking to everyone 
here this morning. He's communicating to us as believers. Because remember now, James is speaking to Christians, to Jewish believers. And I want you to bear that in mind as we read this text this morning. This is not an easy text. Because of the, what I consider seriousness of the point that James makes, especially in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, if anyone thinks, if anyone has the opinion of himself, he has assesses his, himself and says, I am religious. I am a, a diligent performer of the divinely ascribed duties. This is an individual who says, and he looks at himself, he assesses himself and says, you know what? I am religious. He, de he describes himself, and the word is an adjective. And he later on uses that word as a noun, but he says, I am religious. I do all of the things that religious people do. I want to use myself as an example, because I don't want to point fingers, but I, I do all the religious things that are expected of me. I, I go to church. I'm involved in prayer. I'm involved in preaching. I'm involved in the deacon's board. I'm involved in a marriage ministry. Sometimes I visit the sick. I do a lot of the religious things, and, and, and maybe you can think of some of the religious things that you do, the religious practices. And there's nothing wrong with these now. Get me, get me right. James said, this person says, I'm religious. I do all of the things that are done by religious Christian people. I, I'm, 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 I'm involved in all the, the outreach and when it's time to be here and the doors are open, I, I'm here. He thinks himself to be religious. This man is, is even zealous and diligent in the performance of his religious service. And it's acceptable to God. He's, he's diligent. I, I, this is the person who, when the doors open, he's here at 10.30, not 11 o'clock. This is the person who, when it's time to pray, they're there at the prayer meetings. This is the person who says to himself, as I look at myself, I'm a religious individual. And we need to let it sink in. This individual is demonstrating what religion looks like and is diligent with it. But also says that even though he thinks himself to be religious, a practicer of the things that we do, this man has a problem. And yet, and yet, does not bridle his tongue. This word bridle is used only two, th two times in the New Testament. In this portion, bridle the tongue is speaking about religion. James also speaks about it again in James chapter 3 verse 2 when he, he speaks about bridling the whole body. 
This word bridle means to exercise self-control. It's the verb meaning to control, to, to hold in check, to guide as with a bit or bridle. And those of you who are familiar with maybe farms and, and horses and animals, you know about the need to put a bit and a bridle in a horse's mouth and how you use it to choose the direction that the horse goes in. The text says this individual does not bridle his tongue. He allows his tongue to go loose, uncontrolled, relaxed. You know, I, I, I just speak what's on my mind. You know that kind of person? <laughs> I got to say what I got to say. I mean, that's just me. That's just who I am. Unbridled tongue. This is a tongue that is not under con the control of the individual who is led by the Holy, Sp Holy Spirit and the commands of Scripture. His speech is not restrained. And the thing about our tongue and our speech is that it's so serious that James almost takes an entire chapter to talk about the tongue. Twelve of the 18 verses in chapter 3 speak specifically about the seriousness and the power of the tongue. I mean, the tongue, though so small, James says in chapter 3, is like the rudder on a ship. Now imagine when you look at the, the ships in our harbor, the vessels that we see come in. Imagine this little device that just by turning is able to take this entire huge vessel and direct it where to go. The power of the tongue. And this individual, though religious, though demonstrating all of the necessary outward signs, does not have the control of the tongue. This individual is actively religious, very faithful in his religious worship and service, but he is loose with his tongue. This is an individual who when speaking, and he interrupts individual. He dominates the conversation. This is a person who is easily provoked, lashes out. This is an individual who likes to, to gossip or speak evil about others. This is an individual who likes to get in there and, and, and criticize and murmur. An individual who likes to judge and condemn others. He's a person who uses his speech and engages in suggestive and off-colored jokes and talks and maybe lets a curse word slip now and then. He is a person who likes talking about others and running, about, running around and, and downing individuals. This is that person. And even though they do all the things, have all the trappings, they don't control their tongue. Scripture admonishes us in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all wrath, all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We also encourage in James chapter 4, Verse 11, do not speak against 
one another, brethren. We also admonish in 1 Peter 2.1, therefore putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And finally, 1 Peter 3.10 tells us, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Oh, the power, the danger that the tongue possesses. But before I leave this point, I want to just leave you with two verses just to help you before we go along. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I said, I will guard my ways. I will, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. That word guard is the same word used in James chapter 1 verse 26. Watch it. We have to to be careful. Be on our guard. Pay particular attention to what is coming out of our mouths. The word is also used in Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I believe one of the greatest things that have challenged us as believers is the use of this little tongue. And I believe these passages in Psalms should be on our hearts and minds and on our own lips as we pray. Lord, put a guard, put a watch over my mouth. Lord, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to make sure that what comes out of my mouth does not contradict the life that I live. James says not only does he think himself religious, not only does he have a problem with guarding his lips, but this fellow, this individual, in this action, he deceives his own heart. I mean, how is that possible? How could you deceive yourself? How could you seduce yourself into error? How could you, you cause yourself to be misled? How is that possible? And this word again is used in three different cases. One is when we are deceived by man with vain words in Ephesians 5, 6, or, or when, when Eve was deceived according to 1 Timothy 2.14. But in this case, in James 1, we deceive ourselves. No one else does it. Not Satan. Not somebody else coming and trying to swing you, but you swing yourself. How is that possible? You deceive your own heart. You convince yourself that I can live a certain way and speak something that contradicts that. You are able to 
to convince your heart, your, your, the seat of your emotions that, that when you live this way and you speak this way, even though your feelings and emotions are saying something is, is not right here, there, there's some contradiction. You say, no, 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 this is okay. I can live this way and demonstrate true religion, but I can speak this way that's contrary to this, and this is okay. It's fine. You can actually fool yourself. And Paul says, James says, this individual, this individual actually has deceived his own heart. He convinces himself that there is no contradiction. He tells himself, this, this is not true. He, he says, no, this is not wrong. But Matthew, Matthew 12, verses 33 and 37, says that, it ain't so. Bad English, but Paul, it isn't so. Sorry. Matthew 12, 33 says, the tree is known by its fruit. And verse 37 says, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. You can put on all the, the acts. You can do all the things that give the impression that your speech betrays you. Your speech gives away what's going on. Because scriptures are out of the abundance of the, the, it gives you away. Dance to dance. Do the show. But guess what? The mouth gives you away. What makes it even worse, as James says, all of these actions are done by you. Think about it now. You think yourself religious. You don't bridle your tongue. And you deceive your own self. No one does it to you. You do it to yourself. The devil made me do it. Not, not this one. Not this one. But the sad thing is, this person thinks himself to be religious. Hallelujah. but doesn't know how to bridle his tongue and deceives himself. And James says, this man, this man, this woman, your religion, your acts of demonstration of religiosity, your, your, though good, though, yes, prayer, yes, spending time in God's word, yes, spending time with God's people, yes, visiting, this, yes, doing all of these things, yes, Yes, you do all these things, but because you don't bridle that tongue, your religion is worthless. When I looked up this word, worthless, I, I mean, I, mean I, I do all of these things, and because just, just I can't control my tongue, my religion is, is what? Worthless? Useless? Vain? To no purpose? Empty? Fruitless, aimless. 
all that I do because my speech is not in line, is vain, useless. You're in your job. You're walking the walk, but you're not talking the talk. And then you wonder why individuals are like, don't mind him, man. He, he's a joker, man. Don't mind I walk here. You ever hear him out there? He's be the same one in the corner. Boy, <laughs> you see that girl over there? My word, she looking good, hey? But let me tell you this joke I heard. Let me, let me tell you about so-and-so. She was over here at his house late last night. My, my goodness. But Sunday morning, Oh, sing of my Redeemer. Your acts of religious worship and demonstration are worthless. Worthless. That hurt me. That hurt me. God, you, you, come on, man. God, it can't be that serious. Maybe, maybe, maybe it, it, it knocks it off. No, 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 no. Worthless. That's the word is, that is you. Worthless. Useless. Aimless. Fruitless. That same word is used in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. We believe in God and yes, yes, but Christ has not been raised. So what good is it? What does it do? What does it get me? Nothing. Titus 3 and 9, but foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law. Avoid them, for they are unprofitable and worthless. No value, no profit, aimless, nothing. That's what is said about us if our actions and our speech do not line up. Worthless. Listen to what this text is saying about your thinking you are religious. Even if you do all the outward activities that demonstrate true religion, this one act of unsubdued, uncontrolled action renders it all useless, empty, and worthless. This one act portrays the truth about yourself. I paraphrase that verse like this. If any one of us assesses himself and we come to the conclusion that we are serious worshipers of God, performing all the rituals that we see as evidence, and we fail to exercise self-control and keep our tongues in check, guiding it, but play a trick on ourselves. Seducing and leading our mind, will, and emotions, our feelings into error or a false conclusion of what is truly happening. If we allow that to happen, this individual's religious discipline, your exercise and godly behavior before God is 
useless, vain, to no purpose, empty, fruitless, and aimless. As we might say, it is a waste of time. But James gives us hope. He talks about the unpure, I would say, untrue religion. The religion that, that demonstrates itself, but there's no consistency. And the sad thing is, as I said, it, it betrays the words, the mouth betrays the individual. But James says there is hope. There is true religion. In James, it is speaking of, this religion is speaking of godly behavior. Religious worship, exercise or discipline. This religion that is pure and undefiled, it is pure. It's unmixed with anything else. You don't mix a little bit of Hindu, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of little Bahamian, a little bit of my own little wisdom, a little bit of Grammy stuff over here and poppy stuff over here. No, no, no. This is pure religion. Straight from the book. Clean, unmixed, unalloyed. No mixing up and saying, well, you know, I know I should love my enemies, but my goodness, man, this particular fellow, I shouldn't have to love him. It's pure. It's pure religion. It's also undefiled. It's uncontaminated, un. There's, there's nothing mixed in it. No, no little sin here, no little issues over here. This is pure and undefiled religion. This is what it looks like. Pure and undefiled religion. An example of that, the word is used in Hebrews 13.4. The marriage bed is held to be held in honor. Among all, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Ain't nobody should be mixing in your bed. The same way this religion should be pure, unmixed. In marriage, as an example, there should be nobody mixing it. So this religion is pure, undefiled, uncontaminated, holy. No other practices involved. And this is opposite now. Remember now, earlier he was talking about this, this, this walk and talk that was contaminated because of our speech. But he says, this religion, this pure religion, uncontaminated. And this is religion in the sight of God, in the presence of God. This is pure religion from God's standpoint, not our standpoint. Because sad to say, we have our own view. We like to come up with our own definition of pure religion. And you see it time and time again. I see it over and over again. Individuals who choose to say, you know what? I see what the book is saying, but I know I should do this, but in this situation, I mean, I can't love like that. I can't do like that. I can't as a wife submit like that. The man, how can I love this woman if she ain't submitting? I mean, these children, my boss, I mean, obey them that have the rule over me. Think about it now. Someone cracked me the joke this morning. Boy, I wouldn't like to be in your shoes. We're going to be easy. Yeah, you always got to bring it in. Hey. I said, but I sat down with someone and said, if my religion is pure and undefiled, even in this situation, I should conduct myself 
according to scripture. Not according to the situation, not according to the circumstance, not according to the attitude and the actions of the individual. My Bible, my word of God tells me I don't have that option. I don't have the right to dictate and determine how I am to respond. My Bible tells me, you know what? Love your enemies. Bless them that, I say, what? Bless, bless them that curse you. Pray for them that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Pray? I mean, come on, look what he's doing. Pray. But that's pure religion. That's the real deal. That's what we're supposed to be demonstrating. Undefiled, pure religion in the sight of God. That's religion from true religion from God's point of view. It is this. And as I look at this, understand. Pure religion demonstrates itself. You can't say, I'm a Christian. I'm a true believer. If you don't demonstrate Show some outward action. Anybody could talk the talk. And oh my goodness, some of us could talk a good talk. Oh, hallelujah. Could talk a good talk. But the text says, this individual, pure religion, undefiled in the sight of God and the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. When it says to visit, it doesn't mean, hey sis, how you doing? Good to see you. Give her a little dap, catch you later. Visit, to look after, to take care of, to tend, to be concerned about. It refers to paying someone a visit in order to offer care, support, help for the sick or in prison, to to determine their well-being and then to see, what can I do about that? That's visiting. I mean... That's, but that's not our de- no no that's not our definition. But that's the definition. The orphans, the widows, those who are in need, those who've lost loved ones, those who've lost their parents, those who've lost their spouses, persons in need, persons in distress, tribulation, trouble, affliction, hard circumstances. They're suffering. They're in the middle of trials. That word comes up again. James was talking about it earlier. Those persons in those trials, those difficult situations, they're the ones we're supposed to check on. And this is true religion. The practice of the principles of God's word. Not just reading it. And James just talked about it earlier. He said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. He just talked about it. He said, I come back and I, if you're saying you're religious, then you just can't be a hearer. You've got to be a doer. You've got to take the principles in this word. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate it. On it. Hide it in your heart. And then you have to do it. This book is not just to be read. It's to be practiced. It's to be done. A doer of the word. To visit the orphans, to visit persons in their distress. John, 1 John 3, 17 through 19 says, But whoever has this, the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are the truth and will assure our hearts before him. Let's truly love. There's a text that comes to mind that talks about the brother in need. And we see him and we come to him and he says, you know, bro, oh, things are tough. Boy, I hear you, man. That's, that's sad to hear that. Yeah, man, had a little rough mortgage. Light bill came around because, you know, they can cut you off. But, you know, it's kind of a little hard, you know. I, well, you know, but I couldn't. I, I hear you, but um, let me tell you what I can do for you. I can pray for you. I can pray for you. And I can ask the Lord to bring someone along to help you. What do you say? You have a nice day here. God bless you. Well, anyhow, let me go down the road. I, I hear, I hear um, um, Kentucky got a 1999 special on. You mean you, you had it? Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a true Christian. Are you? Are we? Pure religion is demonstrated, not just spoken. It's also not corrupted with other sinful practices. He says pure religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. This one is tough. Out there dirty, dirty bad, my bad. Turn the TV on, ooh, eyes hurting. Walk down the street, ooh, gotta keep my eye on the road. Can't look on the side, because what walking down the street, you ain't wearing much. And you go over here and you listen to this program and the fella spewing all kind of funny off-color jokes and he's saying this and you go over here and you read over here and something else. Then someone over here trying to get you to get involved in this other scheme and, and someone's trying. But Paul says, if you are a person who wants to practice pure and undefiled religion, you've got to keep yourself. The word means to watch carefully, to watch over, to preserve, to guard. And this is a continuous action carried out by the individual. You need to be constantly on your guard. Never let your guard down. Now don't get paranoid because a demon ain't under every rock. Because some of us are like that. Oh, everything. No, but you need to be vigilant. You need to be on your guard. You need, you can't, if you got a problem, with sexual immorality, you can't casually sit down in front of the TV and let anything play in front of you. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be on your guard. You need to get up and say, now let me read what this movie is all about. Let me go to a site that's going to critique this movie and tell me the contents to make sure that what I am going to see in this movie is not going to spot me. Dirty me. I need to be careful of the company I keep and ensure that, listen, now, now gentlemen, now, now, we good, right? But if you're going on that road, I, I, I can't go with you. I, I, I can't hang with this. 
Oh man, man, you ain't got to be like that. Yeah, I got to be like that. I got to be like that. Because the text says I got to keep myself unstained from the world. I got to be on God. I got to keep my eyes open. I can't take things for granted. I can't. Because I want to demonstrate a consistency in my religion, in my worship of God. I want there to be an outward demonstration doing the things that I should do and not doing the things that I shouldn't do. Keep myself unspotted. I cannot let my guard down. That word guard is similar to the word used in Acts 16.23, where when Paul and Silas were put in the prison, the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. Now, God, you, you think the jailer was just, you know what? Let me go and get something to eat. You know what the Bible says the jailer did? He put them in the, what kind of prison? Where in the prison? What the text says? In the what? In the prison. He went to Fox Hill. He didn't just rest them at the door and close the door. He went down. He put them in the hole, closed them. Maximum security. Then what he made sure he did to them. What else he did to them? He put them in the what? Put them in the stocks. I'm making sure you don't get away. I am going to guard myself. And if I look at verse 26, I'm going to especially guard my... Be on God. Guard that tongue. 1 Corinthians 7.37 says, talks about a man and his virgin. To keep his virgin daughter, he will do well. You look at my daughter, my daughters Abigail and Catherine. If I'm going to guard them, do you think I'm going to be casual and laid back when we go out and I, my children, are, I'm on my guard. I'm sensitive to what's going on around them. I'm aware of what's happening because I need to make sure that they are protected. We need to be on our guard. We need to be on our guard as we participate and involve in this world. This world is opposed to the purpose of God. This world system is fallen and rebellious. And we as believers, we cannot get comfortable. We are in it. But the word says we're not to be of it. And we need to be on that guard. This is not our home. Don't get comfortable here. Get relaxed. Enjoy. Yeah, man. Enjoy the ride, but be careful of what you get involved in. You're in it, but don't become a part of it. You must be untainted, spotless, morally pure. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, Father, but is from the world. These are the things we need to be wary of. Be on our guard. Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. My paraphrase again. Religion that is clean, unmixed, uncontaminated, as far as God is concerned, or from God the Father's standpoint, 
is to be concerned about and care for those who have lost their parents or spouses, those in need, and are living in hard or difficult circumstances. And to guard yourself against the moral impurity of a fallen humanity and this world system that is opposed to the purpose of God. We need to be on our guard and demonstrate true religion. Now, these statements are not the sum total of pure religion. This is not saying that this is all there is to true religion. And so, you know, if I just visit the, the widows and I visit the orphans, I'm good. No. What is given is a general design of true religion. What it looks like and what it does not look like. True religion demonstrates itself in a life of practical goodwill and charitableness. This is an example of what true religion looks like in action. And secondly, it looks unspotted and morally pure. Not only does it act, it also refrains from acting. And acting that leads to contamination. So as we look at these two perspectives, true religion, what it looks like, and this person who thinks himself to be religious but can't control his tongue, making his religion worthless, purposeless, aimless, the question for us, the question for me is this. So Lord, what am I going to do with this, this passage? What, what, what am I going to do with this? My suggestion. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. My prayer is that we will take James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 and rest it on our beds and kneel down before our God and Father and look at his word and look at our lives and ask ourselves, is my life lining up with what is defined as pure religion? Or I, am I like this individual over here who thinks he is religious but doesn't have that discipline and self-control over his town? And it could be something else, you know. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's your thought life. But yes, you demonstrate. You show the show. But there is something that betrays the fact that the heart is not all right with God as it should be. 
We don't want to be deceiving ourselves. We don't want to get caught up in the defilements of this world. I know this much for me. And I pray for you as well. I want my life to be lived in such a way and my speech to be spoken in such a way that individuals see what I do and hear what I say and not be turned away but to give honor and glory to the God who has given me the power and the ability to do that, to live this way, to speak this way. I want for my life to be lived, to be pure and undefiled in the sight of God so that he can receive the honor and the glory from the life that I live. Members of Calvary Bible Church, the incredible body of Christ gathered here. My prayer is that that would be our practice, our heart's desire. That we would demonstrate true religion before our God and Father, for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, again, we come into your presence this morning and we thank you. Thank you for your word. And as James reminds us not to be just hearers of your word, but doers as well. We pray, Father God, as we have all been challenged this morning, that we would take your word, search it, study it for ourselves, and test and examine ourselves to see if what is said in your word is true in our lives. For your name's sake. Amen.